Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. And I love having my friend Jacqueline on the podcast because we just get into the nitty gritty of attachment styles. And I always think that we have these really interesting conversations. So I was telling Jacqueline that I spent my Labor Day weekend attending a virtual conference that is actually being held in Oxford, England, but I am not there. And so I get to watch the recorded videos of some of these really heavy hitters in the trauma world. One of the heavy hitters is Bessel van der Kolk. He wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. If you have not read it, Jacqueline and I cannot recommend it enough. It is very user-friendly and it will just give you a lot of insight into the world of trauma. And so I, mean, I was I was talking to Jacqueline about the conference and I was saying, you know, it's so interesting. Look, I am not a neuroscientist and I have a very limited knowledge of the way the brain works, but every time I go to one of these conferences, I learn a little bit more about the brain and it's just so fascinating. So one of the things that Bessel van der Kolk said was that attachment trumps trauma. So he's saying that when there is a rupture, he's asking us who was there for you when that happened. You know, we need to feel safe for people who are there for us. We need people who we can count on for safety and support who help us make us feel safe. And what's so important, and this is why his book is titled The Body Keeps the Score, is that we need to feel a level of safety in our body. And so when we experience something like trauma, that can really affect our level of engagement with other people. I love that you say that because one thing that I really notice around people with you know, struggles like getting into relationship is, you know, it so much can go back to not just when we were children, but those developmental years of being like a preteen and teenager and how people responded to you in positive and negative ways, what your dating experience was like, if you even got any of that. Just to dovetail on what you were saying, there is now more and more evidence around how our bodies respond to viruses, chronic disease, as well as non-chronic conditions based on the health of our nervous system, based on how secure we feel in connection with others. There, another book, When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate, talks, he talks about the correlation of people pleasers and breast cancer in women, right? Mm -hmm. So more and more, we're finding ways to evidence how it's another factor. It's not the only factor, but it is a factor that has been previously ignored in how our bodies work together in health and wellness and illness. So going back to attachment trauma, attachment wounding and the brain and how it develops. Mary, I'm hoping that you can break down a little bit more around how each system or some of the systems operate. Yeah. So I think one of the major systems that's affected by trauma is the limbic system. And again, I am not a neuroscientist. This is just, these are just things that I learn in these conferences and by reading. So, you know, I just think this stuff is really fascinating because I think that we don't really realize how much the brain actually plays a part. 
So what happens is that the limbic system can really be disrupted in when it is affected by trauma. So what happens is we have this part of the limbic system called our amygdala, which is responsible for processing emotions like fear, threat-related emotions. And in response to trauma, the amygdala can become hyperactive, right? Leading to that heightened emotional response, which increases vigilance and a heightened fight-flight reaction. So when you're experiencing something, and even in relationship, when you are feeling dysregulated, you can start to feel maybe like a fight or flight reaction. It also is really hard for us to regulate emotions effectively. And so a lot of times people who've been affected by trauma suffer from mood swings, really intense emotional reactions, and a really hard time managing emotions. There's this other part of the brain that is called the hippocampus. And that's involved with memory processing and consolidation. So a lot of people who've been affected by trauma don't have a lot of memories around certain times in their life. Like I have a lot of clients that come in and say, I don't really have a lot of memories of my childhood. So trauma can affect that functioning of the hippocampus. Again, that leads to sometimes the memories can be very fragmented. Sometimes they can feel very intrusive. We can, we can experience flashbacks, especially if we're doing some deep trauma therapy. And also just kind of like piecing together a beginning, middle, and end of the narrative. And another thing that happens, and I love that Jacqueline was talking about that book, When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate, who's also preeminent in the, in the trauma field. He's like one of the trauma gods, right? What happens is in the stress response system. So trauma can also lead to a dysregulation in the stress response system, which includes the hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and the adrenal glands. We call this the HPA axis, which can result in chronic stress, heightened cortisol levels, and other kinds of symptoms like insomnia, anxiety, and GI gastrointestinal issues. So these are some of the things that what is happening in the brain when we talk about a trauma response. I, you know, going back to GI issues, gastrointestinal issues, you know, I grew up having eczema. I also have um, trauma in my history. I've been through so many different phases of uh, diets in order to cure. Like I, at some point, had eczema all over my body. I've given up everything and back. And the more work that I did around my trauma piece, it really freed me up where my health is better than ever. And I have no restrictions around food, except for a few, a few food allergies that are hysteric. Right? <laughs> and that can be so that can be stressful in and of itself, right? You have this very like restrictive diet. And it's like, I can't do this. I can't do that. And everything is so like diet centered. And when we say diet, we're not talking about weight loss. We're talking about like the foods that we actually put into our body. And so it's like whatever you know, there's so much restriction around that. And we, we talk about brain rigidity, right? And that can lead to causing even more of a stressful situation, especially when you start to see that I've cut out everything from my diet and I'm basically living on, you know, rice and kale. 
and nothing has shifted. Yeah. And it's really, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, it's an integration of how, you know, the two work together. And so, you know, going back to the limbic system, as you mentioned, you know, the attachment system is located next to the physical threat response system within the limbic portion of our brain. The limbic portion of our brain is connected to the central nervous system, right? So why are those pieces connected? Because that's what's sensing threat. That's our survival system. That's what's going to keep us alive. The attachment system, the theory on why it's there is that as babies, we need to attach to our primary caregivers in order for them to help us survive because we cannot survive on our own. So we can't get out of this linking, right? All that happened. What do we do? We're going to get to that. I just wanted to address that flashbacks might not look like conscious. Oh, I remember this one thing. I have this memory. It can be an emotional flashback, Mm -hmm. a nervous system flashback in the sense of I am sensing danger when there is not. My system's running on anxiety because my brain became more and more reinforced that whenever it senses distress or threat of any kind, it responds in this way, right? That is a physical or nervous system flashback, right? So that too, just wanted to throw that out there. And I love that you say that because we can even sort of invent danger, right? It's like if I'm home alone, And now all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm home alone and I'm feeling scared because I'm imagining that there's somebody in my backyard, right? We can really have that nervous system response of fight or flight, right? And so I like that you talk about that because it's like that these feelings are inside of us and our brain doesn't know the difference between whether or not there's actually somebody out there. Exactly. Exactly. And Moving into secure attachment doesn't mean we don't sense any danger. It's we we live in the wise mind, right? We're able, you know, that fear intelligent place, right? So that when we're dysregulated, we're able to sense like this might be imbalanced in some way or no, this is this is something that I I need to be very concerned about or on guard about, right? Moving into therapy and trauma. Talk therapy cannot all right. It cannot access all parts of the brain. There are parts of the brain that got traumatized that talk therapy doesn't get into. So that's why you'll hear Mary and I talk about things like somatics, somatic therapies, incorporation of the body, EMDR. Therapists is asking you to do weird things in session is probably really helpful because those abstract movements, sounds, actions that are out of our normal patterns of thinking being help fire different neuropathways. Um, psychedelic therapy, right? Accessing different parts of the brain. And for the record, if you are just doing psychedelics and not having the integration, there it can be reinforcing if you run avoidant. It might, might be reinforcing, oh, I'll just have the experience on my own versus using the therapist to co-regulate and integrate. So if you are doing psychedelics but choosing not to work with a therapist, you're just having a pleasant experience that might be reinforcing certain attachment system responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do work with psychedelics in my practice and I call those people journey junkies. Like some people engage in psychedelic practices every weekend because it feels good and it can sustain them until the next one. So 
part of the experiences is that when you are in these non-ordinary states of consciousness and you are accessing parts of the brain that you can't access consciously, and it doesn't need to only be through psychedelics, it can also be through holotropic breath work, it can be through meditation, but there are these like, there are these, the, the, the psychedelics does change the structure of your brain in it. So it can access these parts of your brain that other things can't access. And it helps to be witnessed and to also process the work and have a deeper understanding and be able to integrate whatever that came up in the psychedelic session. We always talk about integration to be able to integrate that into the rest of your life. Cause I can go and do mushrooms and skip through the forest and have a grand old time. And yeah, that was fun. But there's also the piece where it's, if I'm not integrating whatever that came up, my connection with nature or whatever that is, then it's just another Saturday afternoon in nature. It's not like I'm actually working with that piece that I touched on in my journey and bringing it into my quote unquote regular everyday life. So thank you so much for bringing that up because that is such an important piece. Especially if you run avoidant and you're just trying to have experiences. Oh on my your God, life. right? No regulation. And if you run anxious and you aren't integrating the part of where that, that facing those fears can be helpful for you, it can right, reinforce some of that. So again, that integration is so important. That's why it's assistant therapy, not just recommended on your own to do. <laughs> and even like the trauma work too, we see Facebook, Instagram, do my eight week program or join this group and let's all do some inner child work. I think that's great, right? It's there's so much healing in community. And also it does require a certain amount of training to be able to hold space and really understand what's happening because a lot of times people can feel like they're a little bit left hanging and they're not quite sure what to do with all of this stuff. We're like putting up the hood of the car and we're taking everything out, but it's like, we also need to put everything back in. So I think that it's really important. And we're not just saying this because we're therapists. We've seen this happen in our practice that it's really important to work with somebody one-on-one -on -one and form those bonds therapy. and that attachment with your therapist so that you can start to form those bonds and attachment with yourself. And, and group therapy too, but it's the tethering of somebody who has yeah. a great understanding so you don't walk around reinforcing neural pathways. So going back to brain development and attachment and trauma, you know, and how it affects our brains. And how do, uh oh, what do we do? Maybe our brain, right, uh, is not as strong in some capacities as somebody who got secure attachment. Oh, what do we do? Because that is actually a real thing, right? Prolonged exposure to trauma can lead to structural changes in the brain. Exactly. And so when we look at that, the first thing, you know, all of the suggestions we give, it's it's all fine and easy to give when one isn't, <laughs> right? But it's hard to do in the moment. And, you know, something I notice oftentimes people struggle with is I hate this, even this 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 phrase of self-care. I've always said self-care is, is not the icing on the cake. It is essential. And if you grew up with a fair amount of trauma or wounding in some capacity or you notice you struggle in relationships, you're going to want to do, I'm sorry, it's going to it's going to be like Mary and I were talking about this before. If Mary and I are both athletes and 
she and I both want to become Olympic level swimmers. And I have a natural swimmer's body. And Mary does not. Mary is going to have to work a lot harder than I am. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have to work hard, but she's going to have to work harder to get to my level, right? And that sucks, but that's just what she was given versus what I was given or vice versa, of course, right? So looking back on if we have certain areas of the brain that might be a little less developed or need a little more help, the self-care as far as what are you doing to support yourself, to make yourself feel good? to sustain that feeling of good and not just avoidance, right, but those secure ways. Are you making sure that you are not adding extra risk factors? You might be somebody who can't intake as much alcohol because it dysregulates you and you suffer from dysregulation more than somebody who runs secure. You might need to do more things like not, you know, I say exercise and using it to get in your body. You might need more therapy. You might need more groups. You might need more community. Yeah, you might need to eat certain things in order to support your body. Learning that skill set of self-regulation, right, is going to be really vital in order to you, in order for you to have that balanced inner system, right? A lot of times we say, oh, I, I want the relationship, right? But we are compelled to act in different ways that are familiar. And that is because our brains have been trained in certain ways. We might actually have lower levels of oxytocin, of dopamine, of serotonin, that, and even endorphins, right, that are almost uh, compelling us to find someone to get those firing, to get our needs met immediately because those levels are lower. So what do we need to do? We might have to take more care to keep that balance so that our brains start to relearn, recalibrate that level of security, right? If you want a long-term fulfilling partnership and you struggle in relationships, a lot of your work is going to feel uncomfortable and different. We don't want the familiar and that might, you might say, hey, but that feels good. That familiar is what's led you to where you're at. Yeah. And yeah, it's with those bonding hormones like oxytocin, when we're in a relationship with somebody or we're having sex with somebody, that gets released. So it feels like if we run low, right, and then th that gets released, that is going to really feel like a bonding experience as opposed to maybe somebody just is looking to have sex, right? Because they want to have sex. And they have regular levels of oxytocin, they're going to be okay just being like, you know, this was just a one night stand or this is just a sexual relationship. That bonding isn't going to feel as strong. And I love that Jacqueline talks about these neurochemicals because this is some real stuff, right? When the serotonin is lower and something gives us a serotonin hit, or the dopamine is lower and something gives us a dopamine hit, we're going to feel close because for survival, we seek out closeness. So going back to like that self-care and what you can do if you struggle in relationships, if you run more anxious, for example, your work is going to be doing things that feel good. Because when you feel bad, you're going to not want to do anything that feels good and really hyper-focus and obsessively think about the thing that caused you the pain in order to gain control, right? Because that's what the anxious attachment style does. And your work is going to be to not just lean into the felt experience of pain, but know that you're in pain 
and you're going to go do things that make you feel good, soul nourished. If you run avoidant, your work is going to be to do things that make you feel a little uncomfortable, right? In the same way that it's going to be uncomfortable for anxious types to do things that consistently feel good to sustain that, to build that muscle. Avoidant types kind of looking to always like, right, they're feeling kind of good. They're feeling like a little, maybe even blissed out, right? That parasympathetic nervous system's running the show. So you want to look for things that are making you feel a little more uncomfortable. You want to start leaning into sharing with other people more, right? That's going to be that bicep that has to be strengthened. If you run disorganized, it's going to be noting both sides are existing and asking yourself, what in that moment do you need? What's going to bring you into that balance? And so we talk about the structures of the brain, how they're formed, and, and they they form differently under trauma. Well, the wonderful thing about the brain is there's this concept of neuroplasticity. So we can actually form new neural connections. So the more that we practice this work that Jacqueline is talking about, the more new neural connections we are going to form that feel more positive, that feel better. And so our brain can actually restructure itself. And as Jacqueline said, yes, it's going to take more work. This is a con this is a practice. This isn't a one and done type of thing. This is a practice. And for myself, I have to do one good thing for me a day. And I can tell the difference between a day where I didn't do that because then I start to feel a little bit low and a day when I did do that because I feel like a little bit more excited, a little more, bit more zhuzhi. So this is something that I have to do daily. And some people are like, wow, I can't believe you exercise every day or I can't believe you do this every day. I'm actually doing this for my own survival. I love it. It truly is, you know, that's going back to the self-care. It's for your own survival, you know? And yes, the progress, we've talked about this before, it's like two to four years if you're consistently working on that. And I like to set people up for success. The older you are, the, the bottom line is the older you are, the harder it is because the more your brain has become ingrained in a certain way. So a lot of times I get asked by people, does this really work? Because they don't see results right away or they come to therapy once a week. I'm sorry, it's not enough. Or your coach, whomever you have, in essence, that they're just fine-tuning, tweaking. You have to do your work in your off time, be clear on what that work is, and do it. Just like if you want to be an Olympic-level athlete, you're not going to get there by training once a week. It's just not going to happen for anybody, really, right? And so the progress is slow, and it involves, you know, the better student you are, the more that it will happen. And if you are younger, it will happen quicker, right? So if you are older and listening to this, you're going to have to put in more work. And that's just the way it is. But if you want a fulfilling relationship, please put in the time. It can happen for you. You can heal your trauma versus when we don't heal our trauma, we relive our past until we heal it, right? So that is why you're continuing to have dysfunctional relationships or unfulfilling relationships. Because until you deal with that part, it will just continue. You'll continue to live in the past versus differentiate between now and then. And again, I don't want people to think that this is like daunting because it's like, oh no, you know, I'm too old. Forget it. I'm set in my ways. And that is not how this works at all. 
I just think that, you know, younger people, first of all, there's less time to kind of like really build those roads in the brain that that have been traumatized and keep going down the same road. Obviously, older people are driving down the same road if they haven't done the work. But again, like what Jacqueline says and what I see in my practice is that it does take about two to four years. So if you're older and you are doing the work, right, and the work, it does involve like not doing the same thing over and over again. Oh, but I'm in trauma therapy, but yet I still make the same choices over and over again. That's not what doing the work is. It's not about just being in therapy. It's also about, wow, what would happen if I made a different choice around this? So I still think, what? I love how you totally pulled out those avoidance who might be middle-aged or older. Oh, I'm just not going to bother with any of it. It's all too difficult. It's like what I hear, that avoidance side of us. That's like, oh, it's all too uncomfortable. I'll just like check I'll out. I'll just stay in this this relationship that I'm not happy with because it's just easier to do that. But I'll still go to therapy. The work will be a little bit slower. Jacqueline and I don't want people on our sofas for like 10, 15, 20 years, right? We want people- Then get them out. Get you out and get you well. We want, yeah. We want people to take action in their lives. And the best part of our jobs is that when people have taken action and they've completely transformed their life. Yes. Yes. This is the goal. It can happen for you and you will have to put in the work. Yes, you will have to put in the work, but I can tell you the work is worth it. So to learn more about attachment styles or anything mental health, you can DM me on Instagram at Mary B Therapy or come visit me on my website, MaryBTherapy.com. And thanks for listening.